Welcome to the Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast, brought to you by Blue Fletch. We discuss technology topics related to Android and workforce devices and how they intersect with business and mobility. Hello, everyone. Thanks you for joining us again for another episode of the Blue Fletch Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast. Today, we are joined by Dean Scantras. Dean, did I say it right? Is it? You did. Yeah, very good. Yep. Yes. God, I, I sometimes I butcher those. I'm, I'm trying hard. Um, thank you for joining us. Dean is with Okta. Uh, I think you've been there for like half a decade now. Is that right? Or <laughs> Not quite that long, but it feels like it. Yeah, no, it's it, it moves fast in the technology space. And um, Okta had their big conference last week. So this is being recorded in the end of uh, November 2022, and they, uh, Dean and his team just hosted what was called Octane or Octane 2022, um, which is a, a, a big, big event out there. Um, today, I want to just get a bit about Dean's background and talk through and learn a bit about what Octa's doing and, and a couple of questions for you. Um, Blue Fletch focuses on mobility and wanted to, to hear about some of the, the spaces. I know we do a lot of integrations with a lot of clients with you guys, and um, it's been a great tool set to work with over the last uh probably five to 10 years for us. I think we started using it pretty early on. Um, but Dean, Dean, thanks for joining us. I, I guess well, we start out. Do you, do you want to give us a little bit about your background and what, what you do? Sure. At yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, so at Okta, I'm the, um, I'm the vice president of, of state, local and higher education. So what we re- refer to and most people refer to as the sled space. Um, I came to Okta by way of acquisition through uh, to, from uh, Auth0. So Auth0 was acquired by Okta, I think, in uh, January of last year, and it was made formal in uh, the following June. Um, So prior to that, I ran all of public sector at Duo Security, which was acquired by by, um, Cisco. So I think the common theme there is I've always had sort of an interest and inclination towards, you know, all things public sector, as well as identity. And I think uh, as we we talk, that'll probably come or speak that'll come a little clearer because identity is going to be very important to how we you know execute on democracy and government and government delivering on its mission so uh prior to that you know 25 plus years in, in various technology companies a lot of them startups some larger companies uh and then a brief a very brief um episode in, into politics but i came back to normal life i right, we'll circle back around to that i got a couple questions about that but i guess on the the sled space the, you said state local uh, government education. Wait, uh, I got it wrong. State, lo- local, government education. Um, yeah. Sled space. How have you seen that change in in the last four years? I know for us, we've always been a little reticent because they feel like they're they're slow and you got to drag them along. For, for you, how have you seen that change? And uh, you know, especially around the security space. It's a very very good question. Um, I, I often start some of these conversations by saying I remember when um, Al Gore was talking about modernizing government and government government 2.0 and you know i don't think in comparison to the the private world or private sector it's been comparable but um i think one of the silver linings uh coming out of, of the pandemic was that it really truly catalyzed modernization for government because everything you do with government typically is in person you're going to a building whether it's to get your you know dmv or fishing license and that forcing function forced everything to go on online um, and, and identity became crucial to that. And we saw that at the beginning of the, uh, the pandemic, uh, where a lot of states became subject to fraud because people were, um, you know, phishing credentials and getting people's identity and therefore getting their benefits. Um, so, so, uh, the pandemic definitely, definitely served as a, a, a catalyst, uh, for modernizing government. So I think in the last four years, now you can do most things uh, where you used to have to go and wait in line for in a government building. You can do a lot of that 
uh, digitally, and they call that modernization. And uh, of course, identity is, is critical to that. And that's uh, also reflected. Uh, one of the other events I went to this year was the uh, NASIA, the National Association of State CIOs Conference in, um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, for, I think, three years in a row now, uh, among their top uh, two or three priorities are modernizing government, um, digital citizen services, and identity and access management. Uh, so I think we've come a long ways, uh, but but it's really, truly just the beginning. With that digital citizen piece, I know your background, you came over to Okta from the Officer, and Officer is really the piece that Okta is using to focus on the mm -hmm. customers and end users and the traditional Octas where Blue Fletch is typically played with uh, the employees and the, the corporate enterprise users. Yeah. With, with that like focus on end users, how have you seen that start to make a lot of those services better, especially in the government? Like as a as a you know, consumer, I want things to be easier. I don't want 20 logins. Right. I feel like I do for, for one exactly of my right. at least. Yeah, the, the term we use is, you know, a frictionless experience. And if you have to log on to something, you know, multiple times, the less likely is that less likely that customer is going to come back and spend money with you or uh, return. Um, and I'm hearing a lot of state CIOs and governors say the same thing. They want a single citizen sign on for all services from uh, the local level of government to the county level to the state level. Uh, there are some things that make that really, really difficult. But I've, I've heard that vi vision reiterated from customers multiple times over the last couple of years. I think that's that's truly the vision. Like I said, there's some some things about government the way it's you know it, it's more of a loosely bound confederacy at the at the state level um, that make it really hard to sort of do that. But we want to have a single identity experience within a state, and then we also want to have a single identity experience across states. And I think that's kind of the end game. But as I said before, a catalyst was oh my gosh, citizens have to interact with government now digitally. Uh, how do we do that? Identity is in the forefront. I don't want to uh, wash over the fact that obviously workforce, what we call workforce or enterprise, is also very critical because uh, we uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, Suffolk County, uh, New York, uh, just the other day. You know, phishing is still very much a thing. Ransomware is still very much a thing. So we we do both, right? We do workforce and we do citizen. It's just the citizen and the digital citizen stuff's been a little bit um, more in the news uh, recently. Yeah, the, the fishing. I think there's one of the stats you guys had at a at Octane. You talked about. I think the, in the first half of the year, I think there was, I think the number was like a, a billion a billion phishing attacks. Yeah, that were monitored. Exactly. It's it's pretty crazy how prevalent that is, and just how many sites there are out, out there where people are trying to steal identities. Yeah, and uh, as I referred, I was with Duo before, so you know. We always think that MFA is is kind of um, everybody's using it, but it's not true. There's still a lot of a lot of individuals, a lot of agencies, a lot of people just using username and password. Um, so that's you know that's that's still very. I mean, one of our CISOs says uh, phishing is still a thing. It, it definitely is still a thing. Yeah, along, along those lines, I know one of the things that um, one of the common themes I heard at Octane was specifically around people. You know, we always say people are the weakest link. And I, I think one of the things that I heard that resonated with me is, is actually it's not people, it's passwords. Like passwords are the weakest link. When you think about multi-factor authentication, having, you know, something I know, plus, you know, a text message going to me, yeah. your tokens, like how do you see that playing out in the government space over the next few years? Um. Well, for, I mean, for, for the for the for the for Okta, for course, offers the 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 password list, right? Which I think is is an interesting option, which we're not really seeing a whole lot of it in the in the state and local space. But um, I mean, we we whether it's citizen stuff or workforce stuff, 
you know, we, we kind of fit into the whole zero trust architecture, if, if that makes a little sense. And identity is, is the first component of that, um, of that, of the architecture. So whether it's, you know, just identity and access management SSO or citizen SSO or uh, adaptive multi-factor, um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of, I hope, hopefully this answers your questions. It, it's all the above. And I, and I do think, I mean, at the highest levels of government, um, you know, in, including the uh, uh, executive order issued by the Biden administration last year, uh, which was really instituting um, uh, M- uh, uh, zero trust uh, for the federal government, right? And 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 of course, we were beneficiaries to that to some degree because that includes identity and access management. We're now starting to see a lot of that at state and local levels as well. And I think that's that's the, the beginning. If again, I, I hope that answered your question. But that's the way we answer, how do you start on that zero trust journey? And I do think governments have become uh, acutely aware of this and are now trying to implement it at the state level as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, the personal story, I, I think I spent 45 minutes on hold last week trying to get my um, one of my state passwords reset. And it was not a not an awesome experience. So it's, it's definitely, I, I'm rooting for you guys to be, to be everywhere. I, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, well, you'll have to text me the, the name of the state afterwards. I don't want to, uh, but but that's a, that's a you know, that's one of the, the easy um, things we fix, right, is automating that password reset. And there's there's dollars to be saved, time, time to be saved, but a better citizen experience. So that's a that's an important one for us. We put that in our, our BVAs when we're doing return on investment for folks. That's a big one. Yeah, definitely. I, I guess along those lines, can you speak to, uh, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, the government, it's people always perceive it as slow moving and hard to and very political and hard to get them to do things like for you guys. What are the biggest challenges that you encounter, the biggest challenges that your CIO, like state CIO and local municipality CIOs encounter trying to get people to, to move forward or, or actually get things yeah. done? So a little bit what I said before is that the state and the county and local governments are really, you know, all intertwined. And it's not like the federal government where the where uh, you know the executive can put out an executive order saying thou shalt do this. And you know states extend services into counties, and if they extend services into counties, then the state is only going to be as secure as the as the county is. Uh, and and again, you know identity is one of these things. As we said previously, you you want it to be you want to have one identity solution top to bottom. Um, and when you have, uh, e- you know, even at the state level, you know, one agency doing one thing and another agency doing something else, then you get to that multiple logon scenario you, you issued before. So I think just by the nature of, of governments being governments, um, it's not that they are, you know, slow by by nature. I think just inherently, uh, you know, trying to get, you know, uh, multiple agencies and multiple levels of government to do one thing is really, really difficult. And identity is like you said, it's, it has to be one thing. It should be one thing. And, you know, you have one driver's license. Okay, well, you switch that over to the digital world. You want to have one digital identity. And you want to be able to use that across. So so I think I think a lot of it is that. I think at the local level, too, uh, you know, it's it's no secret. They, they've um, they've um, been underfunded for a long time. We're now seeing some federal dollars and federal grants go down to the county level. Uh, there's been, um, you know, talent and, um, you know, cybersecurity expertise at the local level as well. Uh, so there's th- that that makes it pretty difficult. But I do see some very um, sort of progressive CIOs and CISOs really leaning in on trying to do a single digital citizen uh, identity across all levels of government within a state. Um, that is really starting to pick up momentum. So that's the holy grail of 
the where states want to be in the next five years? Or what's that? What's the timeline for that journey look like? When you see somebody do it, it just seems like a lot of work. Is it? Is it a two year roadmap? A four year roadmap? How do you get there? Well, you know, I, I think it's one of those things. Is it's a little bit of uh, the first mover status. And if you if you see one state do it, then everybody else will see. And we've got one potential state, and it's a smaller state that's very close to doing it. So, um, you know, and, and a part of it is a little bit of, um, you know, a lot of the, 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 the grant money I was referring to uh, has to be um, allocated by the state. So it's a little bit like when, it, when the federal government gives a grant to a state, you know, there's conditions upon that money. So I think that's one thing that could, that could sort of quicken it a little bit is that the states now have a lot of money that they can use for counties to get them on board with a singular identity solution. I think I think that will help. But we have really seen, even in the last six months, one state in particular saying we're going to do this all in with Okta from uh, the top to the bottom. Um, but I but I still think, you know, we're, we're five, six years out from, you know, there's a lot of talk around, um, you know, sovereign citizen owned identity. What does that look like? You know, that you have, you know, a, a wallet or personal that all your digital identity stuff is is tucked into. And can that be used like as something like an equivalent of, of a social log on today? Uh, starting to see a lot. We do have, uh, there was a little bit of about what we call Okta Personal or Okta Wallet at uh, Octane as well. But I think, you know, again, especially in public sector, because you've got, you know, so many different levels of government and so many different, um, you know, entities, it, it's hard to, to really do anything singular. But I will tell you that the, the volume has picked up in the last six months. So the Okta Wallet concept was interesting to me. I, I saw that and it made me immediately think about the, you know, the, Apple has their you know, passwords where I can store things and have my identity stored across my different devices I use with them. Like how you know, how are you guys different than that or articulate like you know at a individual level? Like my preference personally would not to have it tied to a big vendor um, and right, right. independent yeah. guys. But like, what's the big advantage to having that, or what would that vision look like? So Freddie, who's one of our founders, I think he he says it best: is one, it does have to be citizen owned. And two, he talks about, you know, um, the rise of the identity cloud. We only do identity. <clears throat> and I think I heard this from a lot of CIOs out there, too. They never want us tied to a specific stack. And I think that's one thing that's really, really important. It's independent. It's owned by you. And you can use it across whatever stacks you want to, which whether we're talking about Okta Personal or, or Okta anything else, is kind of really, really the pure play that makes us really important. And that's the true vision, which is to become the identity cloud where individuals can have their identity and they can use it across platforms. And where we where we kind of segue that into the, the public sector space is not only be the identity cloud for uh, workforce and for citizens, but also, you know, um, FedRAMP compliant and all the FedRAMP certifications around it. So but I've, I've heard this from in, in several different you know governor's office, whether it be with chief of staffs, but there's a real insistence, especially in this country, that it's uh, it's citizen owned and not government owned. Interesting. Yeah. On that the FedRAMP note, can you, you know, for the folks watching along with this, can you describe or do your summary of what FedRAMP is and what it's, I guess, where it started a couple of years back and where it is now? Yeah. So I think it's uh, under the Obama administration originally, as you know, the, the government was looking at cloud and wanting to move away from on-prem data centers to cloud. Um, you know, they had a lot of various um, security compliance requirements, whether it's a uh, um, for hardware and software vendors that, uh, but when that that paradigm shifted and went over to cloud, uh, they created FedRAMP, which is its own 166 um, controls that cloud vendors have to have uh, and go through a pretty rigorous process of an independent assessment and three POWs and, and government sponsors and final approval and sign off by the agency and by the three POW. 
that says, yes, you are, uh, you, you, you know, you are now government grade to do uh, cloud. So I started pretty slow, but I think last I checked, there's over 170 uh, individual cloud service providers that are available in the FedRAMP marketplace. Uh, obviously, Okta is both at the moderate and the high level. So that's important. That's important to a lot of customers because, you know, those other 166 controls and where that data resides and who can touch that data, uh, it's extremely important. So it makes our value when we're going to the state level you can imagine, you know, people want to know about, you know, breaches and so and so. And um, but when it's good enough for either the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, um, there's there's some value to that. But the FedRAMP was put into place specifically um, to put a new security compliance paradigm upon cloud service providers. Got it. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so I guess shifting gears a little bit to here, you've been doing this for a long time. I know you gave your, your intro, you know, going back even past like the cloud days back to the you know 2000 uh, 2001 2002 like the post.com days if you had to to go to a younger dean and give yourself some advice and and know other than telling yourself to buy bitcoin or uh, or <laughs> stock what would you what would you think about you know modeling that out or give yourself advice around or tell yourself to focus on or, or move faster on yeah, that's that's a you know it was funny when I read the question or I saw the question. That's immediately what I thought the investments I would have made or places I probably would have stayed. That you know I remember being early on at Checkpoint and thinking, oh my God, how much how long can firewalls become before they become too commodity? And the stock was only at thirty four dollars. So I think I think that's one thing is is patience, right? I mean, um, I th I think part of the challenge was especially growing up then. I mean, there were so many different opportunities and so many different companies, and you kind of you're always taking a little bit of a guess and a little bit of a risk. Um, but perhaps a little more patience at, at some. I mean, I, I, I remember the dot-com, now that was probably a little bit of an exception, but, um, you know, having been with like a company that was selling to service providers, but you know what, they did make it through, right? And that's the, I think that's the one thing you realize is that, you know, there's there's not only resilience, but, um, you know, it's very rare for companies just to be sort of washed from the map, but, uh, and, 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 and I, and, and, I mean, look, I, I, I've always been sort of a startup high growth person. So I, I don't, I don't regret that. And that's always been my, my, um, I guess my spidey sense is like, Hey, this is pretty cool. In fact, the reason I wanted to go over to uh, zero was that I sensed that um, I saw the IRS was starting to put out these big RFIs for citizen identity and they were huge. They were huge. And I thought that's, a, that's where this space is going. Um, so that kind of is a little bit counterintuitive, a little bit more patience at times. Um, but also my instincts have been pretty good over time, but I, but I think there's some places I probably could have marinated a little bit longer. Yeah. That's, that's good feedback. And you mentioned this earlier, but you you did run for Congress at one I point. Did. So what's the story behind that? Tell, tell me tell me a little bit more, more about that. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm originally a native New Englander. And um, uh, I, before the part of my biography that we didn't get up. So I grew up in Maine and um, I went to the University of Maine and I was I was always kind of I wouldn't say politically active. I was, you know, a Boys State candidate in high school, studied political science, went back to Georgetown to the continuing school of studies and uh, liberal arts and got my uh, Worked well. I got 32 credits towards a master's in, in um, uh, liberal arts with a concentration. It was a lot of the same classes, a lot of um, you know constitutional law. And I will tell you, that's kind of like. Uh, in fact, my daughter's in college now. We have a lot of great philosophical political discussions. It's I, I'm Greek, so I don't know if it's just the Greek gene because we you know we like to think we created democracy if that's where that comes from. Um, and there's also the you know, the call to service. Um, so that was always sort of in there. And then when we moved back to Maine, I, I did get to know some of the people who were involved and, you know, an opportunity um, uh, presented itself for, you know, an outsider campaign. And I, I ran once 
in a primary and lost, um, but not by a big margin. But then I, I got the the, the nomination the, the second time. And that's what they, they really say you should run three times and I'm not previewing another a run. Uh, but the second the second one was was actually a really good well run race. Uh, I was uh, you know came out of the gate down twenty points by mid October. I was up five points, and then uh, there was an onslaught of really nasty negative commercials throughout the month of October, which I'll never forget watching Dancing with the Stars with my my wife and these commercials would come on with me and I you know foreboding music and like Dean Scontras wants to ship my parents' jobs to China and it was like I didn't even like myself after I watched those. Um, so, <laughs> So, but but I but I think you know to one um, anybody who's ever done that on either side is to be credited. It's it's not for the faint of heart. It is a contact sport if it's not a blood sport. Um, but I, I've I've always believed in you know and um, people with good ideas and and hopefully um, you know democracy depends upon argument and persuasive rhetoric and those are always things that appealed to me. I'm I'm I've grown a little bit cynical, but. Um, it was a great experience. I got national exposure. I got to meet uh, the two senior senators, or one of the senior senators, senior, current senior se uh, senator from Maine, Senator Collins, and Senator Olympia Snow were tremendously helpful to me. So uh, it was it was a great experience for a couple of years. Won't do it again though. I mean, you say that now, but uh, 2024, we need some good candidates. Yeah, well, I'll <laughs> tell you, it's it's so nasty. It's it's tough. It is super hard. No, I agree with that. Do you? Are you still, uh, you know, outside of your job? Do you, do you still do advocacy at the local level? Are you involved locally in any? Uh... You know, I, I I get asked to do, um, you know, I was asked to do a lot of radio shows still up in, in Maine once in a while. Um, no more TV appearances. I, I was writing a little bit for one website, but uh, I don't I don't go to county committee meetings, and I do have a lot of candidates ask, call, and ask me not not necessarily like, but how did you do it? What was the strategy? So where where I where I can be helpful, I am, but I'm not a I'm not like a, a flag waving party goer. I'm going to my county committee meeting every week. Yeah, so, no. I'm sure it's still very useful as you're trying to help out these uh, states and local yeah. bodies and education groups. So it's, it's, it's tremendously helpful in another state. So we use a lot of lobbyists. We engage a lot of lobbyists. In fact, most of our we call them strategists. Um, our former either you know uh, secretaries of state, uh, former speakers of the house, and when you know their language and speak their language. It definitely comes in handy. In fact, that's what I was telling my overall organization today is like, you know, I don't want you to become political, but you need to know the politics of your state because it's really, really, truly important. And I mean, getting back to identity, if you think about it, no sitting governor wants to have uh, a breach happen on their watch. It's political. It's 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 it could end a political career really fast. In fact, it came up here in the, the governor's race in Virginia. Right. Our unemployment insurance fraud issue came up. So you you do have to be savvy in this business because a lot is politics. And when you're talking about the state and local market, I always say, and this is this is not a pejorative term, but um, you know, state and local is for local yokels. And I mean that that you have to know the local players and who they are. And you know, these state, uh, a lot of the folks in these these state assemblies and offices have been there for some time. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And I, I I hope you guys, uh, I hope Octa continues to move into that space. I think all of us, all of us, you know. Following along, want want a better experience with you know, engaging with the government, engaging with municipalities and our, our counties. So it's awesome. Uh, last question for you before, before you drop off. Um, we we asked this actually all, all our employees when they when they joined. But like, uh, what was your your first cell phone, your first smartphone? Do you remember what it was? <laughs> I remember. I, 
I remember I worked for a reseller very in the early 90s, and they actually gave us these. I don't know if this actually counts because I didn't actually have it, but it was one of those big portable ones that, you know. In a was, bag? The bag phone? Yeah, in a bag. That thing, it was, I don't even know the name of it. I think it's like the Motor, it's like Motorola like M20. Yeah, so I don't know if that technically, but I think my first one was a Nokia. Nokia smartphone was it the little candy bar one or the, the yeah exactly the little yeah it was yeah I think it was I'm not sure but I was you know it's funny I think I remember my first cell phone number which is really kind of creepy but I do nine six seven three two six oh that's hilarious that's awesome well Dean thank you for joining us I, if people want to learn more about Okta or learn more about um, what you guys focus on where where can they find out uh, find more details on you. So uh, Okta.com, of course, is a great, um, always encourage our state and local um, customers to reach out to their local partners, uh, which we have many. So, but um, Okta.com and we have a public sector um, tab there as well. So that's probably a good place to start. Awesome. Well, appreciate you being on. And like I said earlier, Blue Fletch is a huge fan of Okta. Appreciate everything you guys are out there doing. Great, great tools. And you guys continue to grow it. And um, really look forward to seeing what happens in the next five to 10 years as you guys uh, move towards that that identity cloud that's uh, really making making everything more secure for all of us. But uh, thank you again for, for joining us. And then if you have questions for Blue Fletch, definitely reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us at infobluefletch.com or hit us up on the social networks. But Dean, thank you again. Have a, have a good one. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Enterprise Mobility Roundup podcast. If you enjoyed the discussion, please take a few moments to rate us. If you'd like to listen to future episodes, please subscribe. To learn more about mobility topics or submit any questions, visit us at bluefletch.com.